0: In Byron, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. And now we join Pastor Jay Frazier for today's message. And uh, what we'll share with you today, we we'll are just, just sprinkle this sermon with several scriptures that will um, illustrate what we're talking about and confirm uh, who Israel is and then hopefully our relationship that we need to have with her. Okay, verse number 20, excuse me, verse number 32, through 35 in the gospel of matthew we find this let this lesson jesus speaking let this lesson from the fig tree learn this lesson from the fig tree as soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves you know that summer is near in the same way when you see all these things recognize that he is near at the door truly i tell you this generation will certainly not pass until all these things take place heaven and earth will pass away But my words will never pass away. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, God, today to proclaim your word. We thank you, God, for the calling. We thank you for the commission. We thank you for this day when we stand on your word. And I pray, God, that my words would be yours and my thoughts would be yours. And most of all, all of us would walk in obedience. May we understand the necessity to be an ally and to embrace your chosen people. And then where we fit in that equation as well, Lord, we'll praise you, Lord, for what you do now and forevermore. For we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, "Amen, amen." You may be seated. Thank you. Let me do a little formation and information here. Uh, just a sort of a two big words. As I already said, the fig tree in the Bible represents the nation of Israel. Um, that reference that we that we read that the uh the text if you go back and read before and after that jesus was talking about the coming of the son of man talking about himself his second his second coming literally to the earth and then he goes on and later on there's signs different things there in that one of the things and i don't want to get out in the weeds because we can't get back if we get so far away but uh one of the things about the second coming is matthew 24 is dealing with the literal second coming of christ to this earth And and like I say, you can get in some tall weeds and really get confusing. What I want to tell you is there's theology out there that we believe that there's a rapture of the church, the the believers in Christ. There's coming a day where the trump of God's going to sound and those that are dead in Christ are going to be raised and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. We believe in a rapture, a apostle, I think is the way it's said in the Greek, is that we believe there's coming a time where the church is going to go, and whether that's seven years before the tribulation, or three and a half in the middle, or, or at the end, some believe it's going to be right before the second coming of Christ, we believe that bears out. The point I want to make is, and this Matthew 24 is talking about the literal second coming of Christ, so the point is, we're even closer, <laughs> you with me? If, if, if we're talking about the second coming in this passage, wherever the rapture is, it's even closer. It's going to be seven years before this time. So just, just know that. And then there are other things, and we'll get into more. Um, I want to show you something pretty unique. Um, several years ago, I was privileged. I do mean that. Uh, I couldn't afford it. I uh, was privileged to go to Israel. Um, the, the first three or four days of the trip, we were in the north part of Israel, um, we went to Capernaum and saw a bunch of the Sea of Galilee and just some unbelievable things happened in that area. And, and about halfway in the trip, you come to Jerusalem. And that evening, we're coming, and, and they told us that we're going to, the next morning, the second morning we were there, we're going out to the Mount of Olives. And I thought, man, this, they're just saying stuff that's blowing my mind. So they did this devotion in the Mount of Olives, and we're sitting down there, and, and all of a sudden, as the, the day was breaking, it was a, and the, it was like it was a mist, the fog was lifting, you can even tell it's sort of hazy looking. Uh, all of a sudden... I look across and I see this picture. This is what I saw. I took my iPad and I took this picture. This is my picture. It's copyrighted by me. All right, I just want you to know that. Uh, we didn't plagiarize or take whatever the right word is to find it on the internet. This is my picture. And uh, I was blown away. Some stuff that uh, just, you know, we used to sing a song called the Eastern Gate <laughs> that talked about that Jesus going to come back and he's coming to go through the Eastern Gate. There's the Eastern Gate. Here it is right here. Um, people who don't embrace um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, people that don't, em- should say better this way, that's not correct. People that don't embrace Christ as being the Messiah, not just Jews, but Palestinians and others, Muslims, and people that don't embrace Jesus as being the, the Son of God and the Messiah, um, they they don't believe this stuff, but they hedge against the, their bets. The, listen, the, the, the guy told us, said, there's about 16 feet of concrete that they had poured on the eastern gates so nobody can go through it because it's prophesied that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to put his foot down in Zechariah. He's going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two and then he's going to go through the eastern gate into Jerusalem. So it's amazing to me they don't believe it, but if they're not right, they want to make sure that the odds are in their favor that Jesus can't do what he said he's going to do. I love that part. But in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, look at this. There's right along with what I just said. Look, a day belonging to the Lord is coming when the plunder taking from... You will be divided in your presence. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will 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 not be removed from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. Look, Notice this. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half of the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. I'm just telling you, folks, we need to understand that we're living in a day and age, and you're going to see this in the next few weeks, where uh, it's right there. They put that picture back. I want to share with you that uh, uh, we live in a day and age. There's a theology that's out there today called replacement theology. It's been around for a long time. Somehow or another, the Christian came up with this idea that because the Jew rejected Christ, then the child of God or the Christian this modern day in the New Testament, the Christian has replaced the Jew. And I just want to tell you that is not biblically sound at all. Uh, there have been things done. It's blights of the church today. There's been things that the Christian church, and what I mean by that is the whole has done things even to the Jewish people or embraced things that have been done to the Jewish people because of replacement theology. Somehow we think that kind of stuff's Okay. <laughs> I just want to remind you, whether you have a friend that knows Christ or doesn't know Christ, God still holds you to a standard of how you treat humanity. Amen? Uh, life is precious, and we're going to give an account for how we live our lives out. And so though we differ, and then the main difference between Jews and Christians today is simply this. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And there are reasons because if he had been the Messiah, he would have done things like build the, build the temple back. There'd be world peace. There'd be all kinds of things, you know, that they they embrace. There's no way Jesus could have done been been the Messiah because he didn't do X, Y, and Z. Now the the difference is we believe he is the Messiah, and those things that he did not do, he's going to do when he comes back. And I believe that's how it's all going to work out. Is that when he comes back, the Jews are going to realize he really was the Messiah, and then we're all going to be on the same page. Amen. And I think just I hope that helps you. I, I hope I didn't say it too fast. All right. Sometimes I talk way, way too fast. Romans chapter 10, I want to show you something really unique. People say, where does it fit? Where where does it, where, what, I don't understand. Well, first, we need to understand this. Here it is. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is, there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek. Occasionally in the New Testament, the word Greek is used instead of the word Gentile, but they're synonymous. It means somebody who's unregenerated. It's somebody who's not a follower. So you have the Jew and the Gentile or the Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Hmm. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction. In God's eyes today, how dare me think I can think that the Jew is a lower class person because they rejected Christ or they're walking darkness today. Any more than I can think I'm superior because I'm a Christian and I can have a problem with somebody who's not saved. That's crazy. There's no distinction. God didn't die for some. He died for all. And we need to understand that. Hmm. And so here it is. What is the fuss? What's the big fuss about? Well, I mean, it's amazing. Let's just show you a picture today. One more, okay. Are we having a good time? Lord, I'm glad I'm not going to do this for 30 minutes. Did you know I highlighted that? That's New Jersey over there in the red. You know why I highlighted that? That's about how big Israel is. Now, I said that at the first service, and there were two people. who went, wow. Man, Israel sure comes up a lot in, our, in the world's theater of things. And it's just a little bitty hole in the wall over in the Middle East. But see, what gives it significance is it's God's hole in the wall. (laughs) Amen. And the people that reside there are God's chosen people. And we struggle with that because the first thing we do as humanity and we live in this day and age is, how dare you? God has a favorite? God has favor? Wait a second. And we need to understand the whole thing, and it's going to make more sense in just a minute. And today there are people that any time I mention the word politics in the church, they go, oh, no, no, no. Do we have to hear it again? But listen, I want to tell you today, that the thing going on in Israel, it's not political, though it seems like it is. And whether our politicians decide to, to keep giving support or we're going to alienate ourselves, listen to me, you need to hear this. I said it a couple of times in the sermon, the day comes that, that the United States says that we're no longer an ally of Israel is, is going to be the saddest day in American history. You hear me? Because they are God's chosen people. And we can do whatever we want to with that, and and I hope it makes more sense in 10 or 15 minutes, but it is what it is. And the fuss is that. It's not politics. It's not land. It's not inheritance. I'll tell you what it is. It's spiritual warfare. Hmm. It's whether we're going to adhere to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or whether we're going to be a pagan society. I believe everything about me. What goes on in America right now is simply this in my eyes. It's whether we're going to adhere to the principles that we were founded on and go back and educate yourself. Just don't take somebody that's got the microphone or the screaming voice on the platform. Go educate yourself and realize the principles that we were founded on was a Judeo-Christian nation. Do we have blights? Do we have issues? Yes. Do we have things that we need to work on? We've had that since the garden man has to work on stuff. But it is who we are. But the further we get away from those principles and the more godless we become, the more godless we're going to be. And that God has the principles for us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about spiritual warfare. So what I want to do today is identify God's family. I want to define it and uh, define it and defend it, okay? Uh, God's family. And you're part of it, so don't think this is just about the Jewish nation and not you. It'll make more sense. But here it is. I say one more time on this point is that the Jew, they are, Jews are God's chosen people. Let me show you two out of the word. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, part of that verse says, The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, plain and simple, don't have to stay here long, the Jews are God's chosen people. Hang on, you're not left out. We're going to show you how we graft in and how we become part of the family, of God's family, but the Jews are God's chosen people. I don't know if you're familiar with the word covenant. It's It's a big word. Maybe if I said testament, people say, well, I know the Bible is the Old Testament and the New Testament. But did you know the word testament is a synonym for the word covenant? What it basically means is that we have an old covenant that God made with his people. And he did that with the leaders. You know, Abraham had one, Moses had one, on and on. He had covenants he made with the leaders for his people. Okay? And then we have the new covenant. The new covenant is, is we're no longer sacrificing animals for the spotless lamb of God came to this earth and he died on a cross, he paid the debt and he opened up a new covenant for you and me. And he came back to life and so he lives. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. So we understand, all right, they are God's chosen people. God had a covenant with them, hmm, he did. See, not only that, but secondly, and oh, I, I would look forward to saying this, you need to understand, as a follower of Christ, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to say for the Old Testament and New Testament, though I'm getting a little ahead of myself, challengers who challenge God will never succeed. <laughs> they tried it in the Old Covenant. You had the Jews, and, and uh, the first one was Haman. Y'all remember him? Uh, that's sort of a name. I think I remember what was the story. You remember, if you go and read it in the book of Esther, and Esther's subtitle of her life was, you were chosen for such a time as this. A Jewish lady that, that, that spoke up for the people and, and the very thing that Haman was wanting to do to all of God's chosen people, the Jews, happened to him. <laughs> Love the story. When you try to challenge Almighty God in his place, it's not going to end well for you, all right? And then we know in not modern times, but not that long ago, Hitler came along. And Hitler's mandate of his life was to, to annihilate the Jewish people. Now, let me tell you this. Christian church, if you go back and study it in church history and even American history and world history, we didn't have, they didn't have a lot of problem with Hitler. I don't know if you know this. It was not an American culture word, but the word ghetto came about because Hitler started putting Jews in their, in their proper place, wouldn't let them walk among society, wouldn't let them interact with society, but put them in their own place, and they named those places ghettos. Now, we use that word now, but that's where it came from. Jewish ghettos and really the Christian church there was nobody going on CNN and I know I'm a little liberty there there was no such thing then but there was nobody standing up and protesting that what Hitler was doing no 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 Mm. because you have to come back and some some of the theology and some of the understanding is we believed in this replacement theology we believe that the Jews had missed their day and now it's about the Christian and unless a Jew becomes a Christian they got no hope they're still God's chosen people and the challengers never succeed when you challenge God, no matter who you are. It wasn't until they realized of the atrocities of millions of Jews who were being sent to the gas chamber did the Christian church wake up and realize, wait a second, this is not right. Okay? And so some of this that I'm sharing with you today is to remind you that challengers never succeed when they go up against Almighty God. And then today, yes, it starts with an H, but there's a bunch of them now, but you have terrorist organizations all over the world. Hamas and others right now if you go read some of this stuff and people say oh it's political brother Jay why are you bringing this up and why are you taking us back over there and why is it Afghanistan and why is it Iran and why is it all this listen the basis of this remember spiritual warfare the basis if you boil it all down is you have people that are living objection to the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob who cannot stomach nor tolerate that God has a chosen people the Jewish people And their desire is to annihilate. It's very plain. I went and read about Hamas this week. It's very plain. What they're putting out for the world to see on their internet sites is they despise the Jewish nation. They despise the children of Israel. Hmm. I could tell you stories about when I was in Israel and times I stuck my foot in my mouth and I I saw up close and personal the hatred that people have for the Jew. But I've come to tell you today when you challenge God, whether it's in your own individual life or you do it on a world theater, it's not going to end well. And that's the great news to say today. It's not in my notes, but I'll tell you this. What I read to you, the day is coming where they're all going to be gathered together, and they're going to be right there, and they think they're going to take care of it, and God Almighty is going to show up, and he's going to take care of it once and for all. Amen? Oh, I'm about as excited. I think I could have a coronary right here. Thirdly, you and I became the chosen as well. God has the chosen people. Hmm. Challengers never succeed, but you and I have been grafted in as the chosen as well. I want to show you something that's really unique. Watch this. In Romans chapter eleven, verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. You want to write this down. Now. That's good stuff. The next time you're perplexed about all this Jew-Jew Christian thing, here it is. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Did y'all know how many times that, that Paul he he loved saying that, didn't he? He said that about the rapture of the church. He said that about death. He said that about the resurrection. <laughs> he said that about the second coming. I don't want you to be ignorant. He loved to say that. He said, "I don't want you to be ignorant on this mystery." Brothers and sisters, look so that you will not be conceited. Watch this: a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Wow! And in this way, all Israel will be saved. What about that? What? Huh? <laughs> all Israel's going to be saved. I got a great friend of mine that he believed, Man, you you got to be born again. You can't have a conversation with him. He's not going to talk to you about being born again. I said, "What about the Jews?" He said, "Well, they got to be born again to go to heaven." I said, but they're God's chosen people. (laughs) And I said, I don't know how it's going to all happen. I don't know if God's going to call back ones that have died and they're going to be enlightened. I don't know. I'm glad he's God and I'm not. But I do know this, they're God's chosen people. And I do know right now they walk in darkness so that you and I as Gentiles can come to know and experience the light of God in our life. Amen? And see, knowing this, they're going to be awakened one day. That's when the equality is all going to happen. And we're all going to be on the same page and understand that he is the son of God, that he did pay sin's debt, and you have to know him. Hmm. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. One more verse. And this will be my covenant. There's that word again. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Isn't that good stuff? Hope it makes sense. Hope it's clear. I really do. We became chosen. See, their darkness is occurring so that you and I can get in. Their darkness is occurring so that you and I can get in. Here, here's, here's where it fits. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who has called you out of darkness into His his marvelous light. In God's word, in God's world, there's three classes of people, and not four. Listen to me: three classes of people in God's world. You have the Jew. Listen to that. You have the Gentile, and you have the Church. You got God's chosen people. You got all the people who do not know Christ. And then you have the church. Let me remind you, folks, just because you came in a local church today, and I'm not trying to scare you. I just want to represent this well. Just because you came in a church this morning doesn't mean you're in the church. The church I'm talking about is the bride of Christ that we preached about lately. It's the one when the, when, when the trumpet <laughs> is sa- sounds, the dead in Christ are raised, and those which are alive and remain, that's the church I'm talking about, the ones that we are the bride of Christ. And so we understand that. There are only three classes. you got the Jew, which is God's chosen people you got the Gentiles who are the unregenerated people in the world. And you have the church, the ones that are followers and know Christ. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. God's family defined and defended is, this Christ-likeness is a choice. It's not, just, it's not something that just happens. I say this so much in sermons. I, I do. But I, I don't know where we, we got into this salvation stuff so much that we've left people out in the dark about the life after Christ what do you do after you know him listen it's a choice for you to live like God wants you to live everything God's ever stood for is a choice and it amazing he, he created Adam and Eve and first thing he did to him is gave him a choice isn't that right Deuteronomy he told the, he told the, the, the children of Israel he said listen I lay before you life and death choose life and all down through it hmm, he didn't die that we would be saved he died that we might be saved because we make a choice and to live the Christian life is not just something that happens by osmosis. It's a choice that you make. When you leave this place today, you'll say, wait a second. I want to be ready. I want to be ready that if God comes back, I want to be walking in all the life that he has for me to walk in. That's a choice. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't, you don't come down to the altar and that does it. Oh, no, then you live it out, what God has begun in you again and again. Christ-likeness is a choice. Listen to this verse, and we'll move on. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you would go and bear fruit and your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So here's the point. My mother is in her early 80s. Several years ago, uh, she used to play this song on the piano and I sang it one time at a revival. And So every time I would come for some years, I would have to sing this song at a revival if I was anywhere my mother was there. And it's a little deity of a song. It's not that many verses to it. It's really a, it's a real simple song. And the song is entitled, He Chose Me. And it's neat. The two verses really talk about how God chose me before I chose him. <laughs> and, and I just want you to know today, whether you're saved or lost, whether you know the Lord or not, whether you're walking in all the life that you need to, you're walking in obedience or disobedience to the Lord in your relationship with him, I just want you to know, before you chose him, he chose you. Long before I ever knew there was a Jesus, long before I ever knew that he died on a cross, he chose to die on that cross. And the scripture says that even the Father chose me before the foundations of the world, the Lamb was slain. So for my sins, God chose me long before I ever chose him. But remember this verse, he chose you, but he also expects you and me to go forth and bring forth fruit, and for that fruit to remain here's how I want to end today Uh, there was an occasion Jesus did something very perplexing to a lot of people it says that Jesus was walking along with the disciples and he saw a fig tree and him being hungry it says in one of the gospels it says he went to the fig tree to get a fig so that he could eat it consume it to help with his hunger and when he got to the fig tree that looked like it should have fruit it had none and the Son of God cursed the fig tree. And I'm not talking about he used slang words or by words. He basically says, it's over for you. He cursed it. Later on, it says the disciples came by and they noticed that the fig tree that he had cursed previously was now dead. And many speculate, some believe that's about Israel and not doing what they're supposed to do. And others have really simplified it that he he's about fruit in our life. And I just want to share with you something today. Mm. See, I believe that everything that God produces or creates produces fruit. Just take that in. It's amazing. God's creation produces fruit. Zane, a couple of weeks ago, uh, texted his mom and me, and, and uh, the Lord really spoken to him about two or three verses. And I don't want to say anymore; That's very personal. But the thing that I said to him when I finally talked to him about it was, and I said, Zane, I'm not saying this is a pastor. This is man to man. I said, I just noticed in my own life, when God shows me something, there's always an application, if God shows me sin, he wants me to ask forgiveness and get it right. If I've hurt somebody and God shows me that, he expects me to get it right with him and get it right with them. There's, all, you with me? There's always an application to what God reveals to you. So I said, seek God out and see what God wants to do in your life because he's spoken to you in this clear way that he had through his word. And so I just want to say today that whatever God creates produces fruit. I think if we would live in that, it would change our society immensely. Immensely. And what I mean by that is we have seed time and harvest, right? The scripture says, what good is a seed if it abides alone? But if you put it in the ground, it produces much fruit. God is always the one who creates things to produce fruit. He created Adam and Eve, and this is what gets me in trouble, but it is what it is. When they were created in the garden, they were told to be fruitful and multiply. And see, I say the answers to a lot of our issues in our society today is whether it can be fruitful or not. And say, so I'm not out to get anybody, but if we would live this stuff out, you'll see where God hangs out. He didn't save me to be this little entity that didn't do anything. He saved me to grow and to produce fruit and affect other people. You know what the church did with it? You're just a fruit inspector. That's judging. You're judging me. Y'all remember that? You're judging me. How dare you judge me? Let me tell you how you know an orange tree. It's got oranges on it. And you know what they say you do to orange trees that don't produce? They cut them down and throw them in the fire and they plant another one there so it will produce fruit. Fruit. Nobody has something that they plant as a farmer and it never produces fruit. The idea, it's craziness to think that you would plant something without the goal being for there to be fruit. But how did we get so good at Christians that we put all the fruit bearing on Jesus? Jesus put it on us. He said he wants us to go forth and bring forth fruit and for that fruit to remain remain, so that they know who we are. I think there should be enough difference in the child of God's life that when the world looks at us and sees us and hears from us, they know the fruit that we're bearing. Amen? Aren't you glad for me? Aren't you ready for me to quit? I am. I'm about to pass out. Let me tell you a story about fruit. I love dropping hints to people. Y'all remember Bill and Dot Tool? Man, I tell you, um, the comedy of Bill and Dot Tool to me is they were married forever and they were only apart for a month. There are people that got so sappy about that and thought, that's just wonderful. Let me tell you what I know. Suzanne and I just experienced our 32nd wedding anniversary this week. She gets the praise I don't. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But listen to me. I've got a feeling when Suzanne passes away, if she passes away, she wants more than a month's break before I get there. You hear me? I mean, I've just, I said it at the great side. I said, Man, they only got a month away from each other. I think Suzanne wants longer than that. And if I'm in, I, I you, I'm a southern boy, I'm going to live in south, the, the southern part of heaven. Suzanne's probably going to be in the northern part sometimes. But anyway, one of the things they had, and their daughter Terry does, is fig preserves. I love them now, I'm telling you. I love a hot buttered biscuit, old cat head biscuit. And you know it runs down your fingers while you're eating it. Y'all with me? Old buttered biscuit. This didn't mean as much to the earlier crowd, but it's almost lunchtime, ain't it? (laughs) I like buttered toast. You know, when you bring toast out and it's hot and it's got like the three or four little round yellow things where the butter was, and that's cooked into the thing. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody's stomach growling yet? I love fig preserves, one of my favorites. Miss Terry did me six of these. I got three or four left. I'm not going to give this one away. God hasn't spoken to me and He's not told me you can beg it to do you no good, all right? Uh, But this came to mind. When I eat fig preserves, I'm not eating the leaf. I'm not eating the tree. God expects the child of God, in this day and age that we're living in, He expects us to bear fruit. how have we gotten so good at fitting in? We want everybody to like us. Hmm. I'd rather stick out a little bit and know that I bring glory not to the Lord. Sure is sad when the world's got that biscuit and they're waiting for some figs in their life. Thank you for joining us.